Uh, we are watching episode number 37, Tricks of the Mind. There can be only none. Jesus, no. <laughs> <laughs> <Whoa>. <laughs> Listening to Amazingly Terrible, the podcast that makes about as much sense as your favorite childhood cartoons. Which is not at all, really. I'm Adam. I'm Matt. I'm David. And I'm Mike. And together we make Is it comedy? Is it oh, we <laughs> Captain, make Captain Comedy. Captain Comedy. Mm-hmm. Captain Com Eddie. Right now, each of you are, are insignificant powers. Like we, I have a comedy sword, and Mike has a comedy nunchuck, and uh, and David has a comedy laser pistol, and um, Adam takes comedy notes. But w- when all of those combine together, we we Captain Comedy all over your face. Ugh. Ugh. <laughs> I, I like I like it better. Be like we are Captain Com Eddie. Oh, okay, yeah. yeah. Captain Comedy. It's like dad comedy, but if you don't laugh, you have to swab the deck. <laughs> if you don't laugh, we make you. Now, I like the Captain deck. Committee, where we all just sit there and like we we like go through the the meeting note like minutes, and you know we're like, um, is this funny? No, I don't think this is funny. Let's strike this from the record. I like it when we talk over David. <laughs> <laughs> so, which is all the time. Okay. <laughs> So this week we are watching uh, Highlander. The episode is titled Tricks of the Mind. Um, we did make a little bit of a mistake here. We wrote down episode number 24, Tricks of the Mind. Tricks of the Mind is actually episode 37, oh, I believe. Jesus. So we, we already messed up. It's, it's, it's episode 24 of the second season. At least we all watched the right episode. I didn't. So we have to, we have to stop, go back. Watch the right episode. <laughs> Adam, I expect you to fall on your sword for this mistake. <laughs> no, we're gonna we're gonna stick with tricks of the mind. Yeah, I think that this was my my mistake. I got a little too excited when I saw uh, Highlander because um, surprise, surprise, this is actually one of my favorite franchises as a kid. Oh yeah, I mean, and I think we all have history with Highlander. I think so. I think so. Yeah. Um, I was. I was actually just shocked because it had been quite some time since I even like dipped my toes into this property. Um, but it, it turns out that there's actually a lot of my brain space wasted on this garbage. When you dip so, your toes into Highlander, do you wear high water pants? No. Stiletto heels. Oh, I was thinking like those, oh, those like galoshes. Yeah, 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 those galoshes. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> That'd be great. That'd yeah, be great. Like, like you're a fisherman. I I don't know why, but I, I feel like this one kind of kind of struck me a little bit more than some of the other stuff we've watched so far. So, David, I I would really like to thank you for starting us on this journey of self discovery and uh, showing us how all of this nonsense that we used to love as kids and uh, reminding us of just how much brain power we really expended on all of this garbage because. Basically, as soon as I watched this this cartoon, I was like, okay, I'm going to get some, some notes for Highlander. 
let me just go to Wikipedia real quick. And I read like the first line and it all came flooding back to me. <laughs> <laughs> it was like a, like a little, I itched, I had a little scratch and I itched at it and suddenly it was like, boom. I'm picturing, I everything. So, I'm picturing you like, uh, <laughs> like knocked out or laying on your back, um, Face, w- face wet while uh, Christopher Lambert's face is just on your screen, just nodding and winking. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, actually, for me, it was more um, um, uh, Adrian Paul. Ah, um, he, he was more my uh, my Highlander. Was it Adrian Paul? That was his name, right? David, I also want to thank you. I want to thank you for all of the awesome things that you've done for us like the mask and spider-man unlimited <laughs> and cops and, and you remember all and those episodes where you made you sound like you weren't a racist yes and all those times that you made us sound like we're horrible people because we're clearly not <laughs> and all those times that you altered my voice to sound really drunk when i wasn't right I actually am a monk, um, and I podcast from the Himalayan mountains, and Mm. I just want to thank you, David, personally, for all of the great cartoons that you've had to, that you've made us watch. It makes me feel like the MST3K gang that were, that was stuck up in space and had to watch all those movies out of the benevolence. Of the director's heart. I've always thought of you as our crow, Mike. I, <laughs> if I had to be anyone, I would be crow gladly. I think I would fill in that role perfectly. Well, I, I, mean, I think that means that if, if anybody uh, winds up killing you, Mike, that means the rest of us wind up dying. So, yeah. I just think all, that all I of would, our immortality is tied to you. I, I just think I would like a uh, baseball mitt on the back of my head. I hate to say it because I don't like him, but I think I'm Tom Servo. <laughs> I I could imagine gumballs coming out of your mouth. Yeah, I think I'm I'm the I'm the vacuum bot. I don't even know what her name is. <laughs> Hello, Gypsy. Hello. Gypsy. Yes, Gypsy. Yeah, Gypsy. Um, so yeah. that means that David, you're the sadistic director again. No, he's Cambot. Cambot, yeah, uh, always staring at us while we're taking a dump. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Man. Yes. But yeah, th- this this one had had a lot of nostalgia, and and honestly, I think I I really wish that Dan joined us for this one. Yeah. Because I know uh, uh, Matt, you, myself, and Dan were like pretty deep into the Highlander series, and like I think even like well into my twenties, I was like going back and watching reruns of the of the live I, action series. I distinctly remember us playing a um, an early White Wolf hack. Mm-hmm. to yep. uh, convert White Wolf to allow Highlanders or to allow Immortals. And we yep. would often play as Immortals in our White Wolf games. Uh, that's yep. right, ladies. <laughs> um, All right. Yeah, it was pretty fun. My first introduction to uh, hacking a role-playing game. That was pretty cool. So let's, let's have oh, a yeah, moment yeah. of silence to um, remember Dan. Yeah, let's pour one out on the curb for Dan. God rest his soul. He's not dead, but I mean, still. I hope. I mean, he his, has, his soul is restless right now. He had that yeah, hyperactive soul. Yeah. Well, it's it was actually restless soul syndrome. 
<laughs> yeah. You know? yeah. So. Mm-hmm. Yeah. RSS, it's deadly. It's more that he had his soul cut off, but he still feels it. So he has phantom soul. Phantom yeah. soul. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but if you look at your soul, uh, if you look at yourself in the mirror and then you turn it at an angle, right. then you can, you know, it, there, there's therapy. To it be sort had. of feels like your soul is still there when you mm-hmm. move your when you move your other yeah. soul up and down. Yeah, yeah. Like no, no. You have to you have to clinch your second soul. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you said it'll help you release your first soul. Yeah, um, yeah. it's kind of like when you do the the butt exercises where you clench your butt really hard and then you. I had no go. idea that souls operated like the Panama Canal. Oh yeah, or, or a butt. Yeah. Well, more like the Suez Canal, but yeah. <laughs> well, you get one sideways ship in there, and like yeah, you know, all you commerce know, is wrecked. Yeah. My soul sideways in the in the canal right now. Yeah, I, I had an incident like that where my Suez Canal had something go sideways, and it took me a couple of days. I'll tell you, getting old sucks. Yeah, you had to get the forklift out and the, uh, the preaching to the choir. Yeah, yeah. When when your Suez Canal goes sideways, uh, when you're 40, it just takes a long time to get that canal b- unbacked up. Yeah, it takes an extra a lot of pr- five minutes. A lot of prune juice. <laughs> Moving right along. I think we've uh, covered prune, every inside joke. Just real quick. Literally. Uh, prune, prune juice is a warrior's drink. <laughs> um, I, I'll tell you what, though. Tart cherry juice is like the nectar and the elixir to prevent gout. And it it's Ooh. like huh? that's good to know. Uh, yeah, tart cherry. It's like the it's like the gout buster. <laughs> David, you. My genuine hope is that once the pandemic is done, we can get Dan on some of these recordings by having him go to your house on Friday nights every now and then, <laughs> <laughs> kidnap him, and, and do like a live action or like a in face recording with you. Yes, we we. We all pile into a van and, and kidnap him. I don't think he's going to drive two hours to record this podcast for four hours. <laughs> oh, I don't know. Maybe And then won't. drive back at like one in the morning. No, he would spend he, spend the night. You guys would have a sleepover. He might be into it. You never know. Really need to buy that couch then. <laughs> <laughs> all right. All no, we need to do to convince do him it. is get some rope, a pillowcase... And um, chloroform. Chloroform. <laughs> yep. The, the, the whole issue is I don't think he has, like, his home does not have a uh, setup conducive to doing any type of recording. So we'd have to get him, like, a different space where he could sit down where it's relatively quiet to record. So, well, um, I, I still like the idea of him just recording outside and. Um, Next to the air conditioning unit. Yeah, right. Oh, right. Hearing the cicadas in <laughs> the air conditioning unit. I, I was I was thinking of the sounds he was making and uh, what his neighbors would think of him from oh, week yeah. to week. Yeah. But uh, no, you're right. I mean, his neighbors know by his now. sound would be awful. Yeah, because he has that cuckoo clock, and then he has the uh, the loud ass AC unit. I mean, I think we should just pay a guy to be a Dan impersonator. It's going to be cheaper and easier, and probably funnier. Ah, uh, maybe, maybe. Yeah. But anyway. he's got to—he's got to convince us that he's Dan, though. That's the problem. <laughs> so we can like, oh, completely yeah. cut loose around him. You know? It's like a Turing <laughs> test, but for Dan. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> can your dumb high school friends tell if you're if you're faking him? 
<laughs> nice, nice. I like it. All then, right. we'll, then we'll consider him alive. So, let's get into it, boys. Let's do this thing. Background story, background for for the production of this, is Gregory Wyden. Wrote the script for Highlander as a class assignment while he was an undergraduate in the screenwriting program at UCLA. Uh, so Highlander the movie? Highlander the movie. The first Highlander. The, the, the piece of material that kicked off a franchise. And when I started looking into it, this was a much bigger franchise than I thought. <laughs> Uh, it spans five movies, uh, an animated series, which we'll be commenting on tonight, a television series, live-action television series, a Japanese anime, <laughs> four audio plays, four spin-off audio adventures, <gasps> a Celtic opera, uh-huh, ten novels, uh, one non-canonical German novel. <laughs> I wouldn't read that one. Uh, a spin-off live-action television series, a okay. spin-off animated Flash web series, two comic book miniseries, and a video game for the Atari Jaguar CD. Damn. There is a lot of IP attached to this franchise, and I, I just did not know. There was something always distinctly European about Highlander. Yes. I always thought it was an import. Well, well, there's a good reason for that. Um, it was, I'm pretty sure that it was filmed and directed in uh, Britain, the first one. It's cheap to film there. Um, and then I think that it was actually taken over by American Studios for the second one, as you recall, mm. Highlander, The Quickening. It's the linchpin of the series. Yeah. <laughs> it keeps it grounded. Yeah. Right. The the live action television series though was actually purchased by the same company that made the animated series, Gaumont Media or Gaumont Multimedia. Multi mm -hmm. And the live action Highlander series was the first uh, piece of um, media that Gaumont made, and it is the very first French production company to make content specifically for an American audience. Interesting. So that's the reason why I had a very European feel to it. Mm. Um, I would go as far as to say that Highlander is essentially the French Doctor Who. <laughs> Written by an American. Written by an American, yeah. <laughs> right. Um, prove us wrong, Frenchman. Exactly. Right. <laughs> Well, you you have like the like the weird time jumps because they always do flashbacks constantly throughout the series. Sure, um, we're getting a little bit too much into the live action series right now, but you you have an immortal character. The only difference is like that immortality doesn't switch between actors. That's all. So, I had a question. Do you think we could do a spinoff series about the Lowlander? <laughs> He's like an immortal Dutchman. He's just like he's very good at building dikes. Very good at building dikes. Yeah, yeah. Excellent at uh, keeping water from uh, right spilling across causeways. Yeah, yeah, and it's just like thousands of he years of him like 
uh, painstakingly building a bridge and like routing the water through the through the tulip fields. <laughs> I like this. I think this would be a good idea. Actually, yeah, I think so. Well, I mean, in all fairness, like everything that, that has come out of the the idea of the Highlander, it's all immortals. It has nothing to do with the Highlands of Scotland. It's all just being immortal. What? But but somehow, some way, like being from the Highlands kind of got sucked into this idea of immortality because we, we start off the series with Connor McLeod in the first movie mm-hmm. played by the indomitable Christopher Lambert Christopher Lambert yeah he did not want to do the live action series so then they were like okay well we still want to try to make some Highlander movies so we don't want to we don't want Connor McLeod like we don't want to switch actors and have him play the same character. So we'll have um, Duncan McLeod, uh, yeah. Connor's distant cousin. He's like, okay, Who's also an fine. immortal. Who's also an immortal and yeah. also from the Highlands. And now from we have Clan Quentin McLeod in the animated series, who's also from the Highlands. And then the Japanese anime, we we they introduce another McLeod. Yojimbo uh, McLeod. Yojimbo McLeod. <laughs> Who was uh, killed in like 132 uh, BCE by a, a Roman general or something like that? So, yeah. so, and I think that there's actually another McLeod that pops up in the video game. So there's like five people from the same clan that all wound up getting immortality. Doesn't make any sense. It pays to be a Highlander, I guess. And well, that that kind of gets me to to another point in this animated series where we're going to be watching. Um, we're following Quentin McLeod, and uh, one of Quentin McLeod's um, compatriots is Ramirez. <gasps> but in the movie, Ramirez's full name is Juan Sanchez Villabos Ramirez. Sure. In the cartoon, his name is Don Vincent Marino Ramirez. You think they're different people? I don't think that they are different people. From what they were trying to do in the animated series, yeah, because he had memories of the first movie, you know, except, yeah, the, part, except the part where he's decapitated. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, I, you do tend exactly. to forget that. Um, here's, but but what if the Ramirez clan is just like the McLeods? You know, like uh, everybody's second cousin is basically an immortal. Immortal. Yeah, nice. all the Ramirez's and all of the McLeods hang out because they're uh, throughout time because they're all immortals. Well, Ramirez, if you recall from the movie, he was called the Spanish Peacock, and he was supposed to be a Spaniard. Okay. Except he was actually in in the storyline, he was actually Egyptian, sure by way by way of Spain. So Ramirez really wouldn't have been his name anyway, right? I would. I mean, my my head is that he's so old that it, his name doesn't really matter anymore. You know, like he just adopts a new identity every couple thousand years or so. Fair enough. Fair enough. I think that that winds up working well. And this is the guy played by Sean Connery, Mister Connery, who's actually Scottish. Yes, exactly. A Scotsman playing Egyptian, uh, finding his way to. The Highlands of Scotland by way of Spain. To teach a Frenchman playing a Scotsman. 
<laughs> exactly. <laughs> to teach a Frenchman playing a Scotsman, yep. I mean... Oh, goodness. This is, you know, pre-woke Hollywood. <laughs> well, this was... Uh, uh, this was quote-unquote colorblind Hollywood. Sure, right. That's why everyone get... in this movie is white. Uh-huh. <laughs> and there are no female or black immortals. That's true, actually. I, I didn't even grab that. You're right. This is a racist TV show, isn't it? I mean, they all In all fairness, I don't, I don't think there are any... I don't think they had any black people anywhere in this, actually. Your childhood was alive. In this cartoon or in Highlander in general? No, in this cartoon. this cartoon. Well, no. I, I mean, it's a post-apocalypse, post-apocalyptic landscape, and mostly uh, only white people survive the apocalypse, it seems like. Since, okay. I mean, I'm not... David, I, I David like is this it. racist? <laughs> There's some kind of social commentary that we could extrapolate, but it's not good. And it'll make us sound horrible if we say it. So I mean, how many how many Whoa, people of African American descent or African descent were in Waterworld? Uh, one Mad Max. There's like that one guy, uh, the Postman. That one guy. Oh, there there were there were a few. Uh, it was uh, Ford Lincoln Mercury. <laughs> what? The guy's name was Ford Lincoln Mercury. I don't remember that from the movie. And. Yes, so, but literally we could just call them all token, just like South Park did, because. Okay, so David, David, when do you need the sound mark to actually stop the cutting? (laughs) (laughs) Beep. Okay. Um, I'm I'm not saying I like it. I just say that that uh, that genre's. We're not endorsing audience. Yeah, we're not endorsing it. We're just noticing it. That's fair. That's fair. Okay, so uh, let's go ahead and, and for those of you that, at home that don't know what the fuck we're talking about, why are you even listening? But more <laughs> importantly, um, yeah, both of you, Highlander. Hi- Highlander is about um, uh, the rules of Highlander. Basically, are that there are immortals in the world. They are born as regular humans, but upon Rangos. their first death, they come back to life, and. Um, they come back in the state that they were in when they died. So if you die when you're 24, you stay 24 forever. If you die when you're nine, you stay nine forever. If you die when you have, when you have cancer, you will continuously have cancer throughout your entire immortality. I did not know that bit. It really yep. sucks if you die of old age as an immortal. Yeah. Well, they, they play it off in canon. The reason why you don't see any kid immortals or old people immortals is they get killed very quickly in quote unquote the game. Well, that would make sense. Yeah. So immortals are sterile. They can't have kids. Uh, immortals can sense other immortals through the quickening, and they can sense pre-immortals through the quickening as well. The pre-immortals can't sense them. Um, immortals fight each other in order to gain each other's quickening, which is whatever power it is that makes them immortal. And they take it from other immortals by beheading them. So they have a fight, behead each other. Whoever wins the beheading gets the the quickening absorbed. They get all that sick ass, delicious quickening juice. <laughs> oh Just God! Sucked <laughs> up in their body. It's very similar to the plot of the one. You no, know, it is very similar to the plot of the one. Yep, yep. Very importantly, this kills one of these immortals when they have these duels. Finally, yeah, like, yeah, yeah. Two men enter, one and, man yeah. leaves. Yeah, so once the Immortals' quickening is released by being beheaded, they, they stay dead. 
And, and the this, quickening, the siphoning process of like taking the quickening from the other immortal is actually an area effect. So it causes a massive amount of destruction around them, usually in the form of arcing electricity and sparks and fires and stuff. I would say and, more um, it's it's um, special effects budget based. Of uh, yeah. the 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 quickening varies not by the power of the immortal; it, it varies by the special effects budget of the show that it's happening on. Yeah. The syndicated the show effect. versus the movie versus the cartoon, right? Yeah, exactly. Exactly. One of the more, more disturbing things I found about Immortals is the ways that you could die and then come back. Um, I think it was in the movie, not necessarily the show, but um, when uh, Connor McCloud was stuck on an island for like three hundred years or something like that, and died of starvation hundreds of times could you imagine like because starvation is not a quick thing it's a painful agonizing painful process and you die of starvation and then you come back and you get to live for a few hours or days before dying of starvation again yeah i mean after the first one it's pretty quick (laughs) <laughs> I, I, I don't know what the regeneration is like when you come back does your body have like a, a base level of mana or like food that <laughs> mana yeah it refills your uh, blue jar <laughs> so yeah. do you have like one free yeah. blue jar or red jar and then you're like oh good and but i, I couldn't imagine it's kind of like being like the same by the same token if you were like in the uh, Age of the Pirates, and you had like you were immortal, and you had a cannonball tied to your ankles, and then dropped into the ocean. Could you imagine dying of drowning over and over until somehow you got free because like a shark bit off your leg and then it grew back? Yeah, they, they pretty, did that. I'm pretty sure. Yeah, they, they did. That. I think that there was actually one. Um, there was an immortal that was stuck in like a. Um, Iron Maiden like a, kind of thing. Yeah, an Iron Maiden thing. And then thrown it into the ocean. And and nobody knew where it was because it was just sort of thrown overboard during a, a storm. And uh, one of uh, Duncan McLeod's friends, um, I think they called her the Raven, um, she was always trying to find that immortal because it was like her long-lost friend or something like that. Or maybe I'm conflating another movie with this one. I think that I was recall. the... Um, wasn't that the movie with Charlize Theron? Sounds like the season four finale of Angel. Yes, exactly, exactly. Well, we're not treading new ground here. I mean, this is this is a pop, um, mm-hmm. a, a pop, a pop fantasy, contemporary fantasy story. So there's a lot of you know, the the idea of immortality has been thoroughly explored in our yeah. historical literature. Oh yeah, and yeah. All the permutations. So in in this setup, though, like going back to the rules, um, the quickening can actually be siphoned off by other immortals that observe fights. So that's the reason why it's usually single combat. It's one immortal, another immortal. That's usually oh, how it always works out. I did not so, know that. Yeah. Um, and this fighting, this constant fighting, uh, they refer to it as the game. And whoever wins the game gets the prize. And nobody really knows what the prize is. Well, it's, it's, this is it's, the it's, immortal it's, line. We're coming to the big one, right? Yeah, the catchphrase. Yeah. Yep. Let's all so, say it together. One, two, three. There could be Ramirez. only one. Oh. oh, sorry. There could be only one. 
Um, Which, as a so, catchphrase so, for your for your fantasy show, pretty good. It is pretty good. Yeah. yeah. I think that's that's one of the reasons why I caught on was because it was like it was quick, relatively easy concept to to take on. There's still mystery there because nobody knew what caused the immortals. Nobody really knew what the I mean, the prize would be. Nobody even knew if it was true, right? They all just repeated it like yeah. it was a cult. Well, clearly yeah. these are alien uh, thetans who have been imprisoned <laughs> on Earth. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and um, okay. the prize is a golden 747. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. <laughs> and that's a plot file so, later, too. <laughs> and, and you're, you're actually, I didn't even connect those dots, but yeah, that's exactly what it was. What I always enjoyed about Highlander is I felt like it was perfectly constructed to appeal to everything that 14-year-old boys like. First of all, feeling like you're very yep. special, random military history, mm. using a yep. samurai yep. sword, and also wearing a trench coat. Yes, yes. Yeah. So it was expertly constructed to contain all the things necessary for a 14-year-old boy to really buy into. And also being confused and not knowing exactly what it was that what that white stuff was that came out when you popped oh, off the head. Jesus Christ! <laughs> anyway, you were um, confused. Okay, so so yeah, nobody knows what the prize is. It's theorized that for good immortals, the prize is mortality and the chance to have kids and live a normal life. But for bad immortals, it's ultimate power to be able to subjugate and control all of mankind. Um. um could you, as an immortal, could you have kids pre your transformation into pre your first death? From what I thought so, from what I understood, I, th- I thought that uh, there, there was an immortal that lamented the death of his children. Mm-hmm. It was like you watch them die. Um, but I, I, don't, I don't recall for certain. Um, okay. The one of the things, though, for the game. I mean. That's the thing about the immortals is they definitely all die between the ages of 24 and 31. Yeah. Absolutely. The hottest years. Yep. Well, they're at the peak physical condition too. So, and they kind of go into that a little bit in the, the live action series where like Duncan McLeod is trying to train Richie. So he's like at his peak before he becomes an immortal. But um, the there are a couple of different other supernatural rules that come into play. Really just one other supernatural rule that comes into play. And that is immortals cannot fight on holy ground. Bad things happen if they fight on holy ground. And if I recall correctly, they refer to one um, fight between immortals that ended in um, one of the immortals killing the other on holy ground. And that was in Pompeii right before the volcano exploded. So they they reference it as being like that type of big like world ending event. If that, I, I remember that, that episode. They did a Vesuvius yeah, yeah. on us. They did. They did. Damn. Why would they care? Right. What's that? Why would the, they the care immortals? if they killed? Yeah, if they killed a whole shit ton of a bunch of people. Well, no. the The idea was like the immortal that won the fight then like got killed himself because he was trapped underneath all the rock or or whatever. I don't know. That's the other thing that I didn't really understand, like, for the Immortals. If you, get, if you burn to death, sure. do you actually die, too? Like, like if, you, if you, somebody started a fire at your feet and, like, cooked and turned your entire body into ash, except your head. Right. Yeah. 
because like yeah. other otherwise like that guy's still down there right he's still underneath yeah. the lava of Vesuvius and to like finally get the prize if you're the you know the second to last immortal to finally get the down. prize you gotta like hire an excavation crew yeah, and like yeah. uh, dig this guy up yep and it sounds like a whole thing so so this is all the stuff that I wrote down from memory <laughs> about this fucking series so let's get so, into it. let's get into the actual cartoon series animated series a little bit of backstory for the animated series just so we know what we're sitting at it's 700 years in 700 years quote unquote in the future we don't know like what the start point is from 700 years 700 at years some past point, some sort of bad apocalypse. thing that happened yeah yeah the apocalypse that happened was a meteorite hit the earth after humankind shot a bunch of nukes at it basically Sure, and and, that, and the combination of those two things wiped out all of civilization. Well, from the look of the city that they're in, like it's it's near future in which the meteorite strikes. Yeah, maybe like 1994. Mm, that's a good. Maybe. That's a good time. So somewhere, somewhere around there, yeah, somewhere around 1994. Remaining immortals that are were part of the game, the quote unquote game. Um, they decided to set aside the game set aside the fight for the prize after this happened and took an oath to preserve the knowledge of humankind and help guide mankind back towards civilization. Sure. They took this vow, all of them except for one, the guy that did not take it was named Cortan. And it seemed like they took this oath under some sort of like magical, mystical means um, there's there's always ambiguously magical abilities that certain yeah. immortals have, uh, yeah. you know, as they get more um, older and they get more, quote unquote, quickening, they have they start getting uh, ill defined powers. Yeah. But what wound up happening is Cortan said, I'm not going to take the oath. Connor McLeod, who is still alive at this point in time, then decided that he was going to kill Cortan. Huh. To prevent him from throwing off the game. And since Connor McLeod broke that oath, he wound up getting killed himself. Well, But as, as he was dying, he prophesied that a new member of the McLeod clan will come into being in 700 years. Wow. So we come in 700 years later. Quentin Dundee is born. And it turns out that the Dundee clan is actually a, a offshoot of the McLeod clan. So he's of actually course. Quentin McLeod. Um, so my question is, why did they ruin the best part of the Highlander series? Exactly. exactly. Well, I, I don't know this for a fact because I wasn't able to get that much information about like the creation of the cartoon, save for it was from a French company. I have to assume that they were trying to fall in line with some standards and practices saying, because if you pitch this to an American censor, you're basically saying, I'm going to create a cartoon that is solely about these people murdering each other for power. Right. How do you fix that? How, how do you, how do you square that peg? You know? I mean, it sounds like more like they wanted to create a way 
for them to keep all these characters around like Ramirez and Connor mm -hmm. so they could call back to them uh, despite the fact but, they wanted to have a a, Kyrgy, a Kyrgyz style big bad in a post-apocalyptic yeah. world. Yeah, yeah. But the other thing is like where are the other immortals if they all took this oath? Well, no, they're, they, they're there. And actually over the course of the series there's actually I think like 20... I think in total there's like 21, 22 immortals in this future times. Um, one of them is Cortan, one of them is Ramirez, and the rest of them took the oath along with Ramirez, but they call themselves the Jetator. The Jetator, I think, is actually supposed to be French for cast aside, and it, and it means like they cast aside their their swords okay. to, be, to become these reservoirs of knowledge. Um... So they also might have changed it up in this fashion to try to make it more like a video game. Because hmm. it seems like the whole point of the series is that Quentin McCloud has to go and find all the other immortals spread out across the land to gain their quickening, gain their knowledge, to then become powerful enough to go fight Cortan and stop Cortan. Yeah, it's a classic, like, you know who the big bad is and he's constantly threatening you, but you need to go train, right? Yeah, yeah. Or you have to go on, like, fetch quests, basically. Yeah. Is, Qu is Quentin a pre-immortal? No, he's actual. He's actually an immortal. I think in the first episode they kill him. And I, I believe it's Araka that kills him, the guy with the cybernetic eye. And when Araka kills him, a huge amount of okay. quickening gets released by him when he gets reborn. And that's what caused Araka, or Arak to lose his eye and, and a, a hand. So. Mm -hmm. But this is still like after the oath was taken. This was so, after the oath was taken, yes. So yes. Quentin never took the oath. No, he's a new immortal yeah. who, who didn't take the oath. Quentin never took the oath. Also, when Quentin goes and finds other immortals, he actually winds up absorbing their quickening in more of like a free-range, GMO-free, <laughs> no-kill shelter sort of way. Mm -hmm. he, just, he just sort of like, grabs onto their sword when they're holding their sword and just sort of sucks the quickening out of them. Yeah. So kind of human style. Yeah. And then they become mortal. So, yeah, but that's supposed to be the prize. Like he's just going around yeah. giving everybody the prize. Basically. Yeah. That's a if they were good, good deal. Immortals. Yeah. So, right. Well, they all took the oath. So, so Cortan knows about the, the prophecy that the new McLeod will kill him. So he's trying to hunt down Quentin before he becomes too powerful to be able to take out Cortan. So all of this has a very supernatural sounding feel to it, right? <laughs> yeah. It turns out that the Oath Master is fucking Ramirez. And Ramirez's job is just to hunt down and kill whatever motherfucker breaks the Oath. That's it. Huh. So it seems almost like it's pointless. It's pretty vague. It it's a real like plot plot contrivance. But it but it, it definitely does still have a little bit of a mystical tilt to it because we do see something pop up it pop up for it in this episode specifically. So in my experience, if you want somebody dead, all you need to do is cut off somebody's head. <laughs> I like how you've been silent for like the last 15 minutes. Have you just been trying to come up with this? Yeah, he's been. No, I've been, <laughs> I've been waiting for the moment to say that uninterrupted. Nice, nice. 
All right, so so let's get into the specific episode here. Um, yeah, let's really let's the, get to what, what we came here for. The opening to this to this uh, uh, episode, the opening to all the episodes, the opening credits, I should say, are like as '90s as '90s can possibly be. I want to talk really? about. I want to talk about Quentin's haircut, and and the okay. backgrounds. Yes, yes. Um, first, Quentin's haircut. He has. I don't know how to describe it. It's like. It's sort of like an unmullet because it's like uh, party in the front, party on the top, party in the back, party all the time. <laughs> he, it's an unmullet. It's like yeah. the undead mullet. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> he has bangs in the front. He has, I don't know, onion, onion-shaped spikes on top. And then he has a very long ponytail. So he's got like anime hair, except also a very long ponytail in the back. He just, it's all going great for him. And, oh, and it's red. It's red, yeah. Bright, fiery red. Boy, you you have to illustrate that he's Scottish somehow, right? Sure. Sure. But isn't that Irish? I don't know enough about the Scots. I think you're right. Redheads are supposed to be Irish. I don't know what reds are supposed to be, but. Or, yeah. I don't know either. But it's also weird because it's like you described all these different parts to his hair. Like yeah. it's like every type of hair that you could possibly think of. But it's also like completely disconnected. Yeah, it looks pretty way. stupid. Yeah. I feel like maybe his hair like got a lot of executive notes from different executives fulfilling their <laughs> hair fantasies. <laughs> <laughs> and this was the result. Right. Some sort of like strange hodgepodge of nonsense. Yeah. Um, but I agree with you on the rest of the opening. Very 90s. Yeah. It has this weird computer-generated portion. Yeah. Where they've made, like, a valley with uh, mountains or rocks on either side, but it's just the same background repeated over and over and over again, and they kind of pull it away with parallax over at each other. Yeah. Uh, does not look good. Nope. And it's all playing, like, a very, like, reduced down simplified version of like the Highlander music. Um, yeah. Almost like somebody just sort of like had a MIDI keyboard that they just were like playing around with in a sound studio one day. And they're like, yeah, oh, that's good enough. We'll just use that. And, and, and like, it's, it's an apocalyptic hellscape. Right. But it's all very like brightly lit. It's all very like bright sure. colors, despite the fact that it's supposed to be the end of days. So, it's very desert like. And they, yeah. they introduce, Apparent, like they introduce all these characters, but there's only like four. There's like Quentin, yeah. Ramirez, uh, Baddie McBadface, what's his name? Cortan. Cortan. And then like Cortan's, let's say it, Bud Buddy Fred. His, yeah, yeah. <laughs> his gimp, basically. Yeah, basically. So, and that's kind of uh, it. And, and the gimp's name, hold on, I have that written here somewhere, is. Malone. Okay. I thought you might like that, like post Malone. <laughs> Good point. This, this, this is even... this is this is pre post Malone. This yeah, this is post apocalypse <laughs> Malone. Um, he's my favorite character. He appears once and says one thing in this show, and he, thus yeah. making him my favorite character. Um, he he's actually supposed to be, uh, quote unquote, the key. For Cortan, 
Apparently, okay. like, a bunch of stuff in the Citadel is programmed to only open for uh, post-apocalypse Malone. So, um, is is he an immortal, or is he just a weirdo? I, th- I think that he is mortal, I think. <gasps> I think he's a weirdo mortal. I, I'm not sure, though. I'm not 100% on that. Uh, anyway, but, moving on. Yeah. So we open up Media Res, um, Ramirez, Quentin, uh, Quentin's adopted little sister, Clyde, and a um, Ewok dog centaur thing. Oh, it's so freaky. A snarfatar. A snarfatar. Ooh, that's good. Yeah. Yep. In fact, I, I want our li- our listeners to make their own uh, drawings of, of a snarfatar and submit it to us. <laughs> <laughs> and the one we like the best, we will bring to life. <laughs> Using... Uh, I mean, Our, arcane magics, Hor- horrible arcane necromancy magics from from uh, the quickening. Yeah, yeah. Um, so send your entries to monotonously terrific at amazingly terrible dot com. <laughs> <laughs> and again, good luck spelling that. Yeah, I've best never of, spelled best it. of luck. Um, yeah, anyway, no, just checked all... our email. We've got we got we got nothing. <laughs> we got nothing. Yeah, I um I can't even email David anymore. <laughs> the thing, the the dog thing is very weird, but totally inconsequential to the plot. No, yeah, and I th- I'm pretty sure it's inconsequential to like everything involving the plot. So, but it is um, the weirdest thing. It is um, a six-limbed dog centaur man, but yeah. it's three, it, two, three feet tall. Yeah, something like that. It looks like it, it like runs on four legs, and then like the top two legs are more like hands. Yeah. So it really does look like a, I, I think a snarfatar is actually a perfect description of it. Cause yeah, snarf- I, I agree. With an extra segmented body for with legs, so. Um, and Quint, Quinton and Ramirez are riding on uh, plucked chocobus. Yes, exactly. I, I call them ostrich horses, but I think that that's better. Yeah, plucked chocobos. Yeah, yeah. So they're running, running, running. They come up to a uh, a chasm that's in front of a waterfall. They they all get off of their chocobos and they they shoot them away, and um, wordlessly. Without saying anything to each other, Ramirez and Quentin start con- constructing a catapult mm-hmm. from a sapling tree and pulling down vines to use as ropes. Yes, to fire a zip line across the waterfall. Um, we did see a short scene showing their pursuers, who mm-hmm. are uh, clearly designed to be playsets. Uh, they have tank cars of some kind. And yeah, are, ATVs, yeah. yeah. And they're kind of faceless, green, nobody bad guys. Except for one, who is yes. a Raka, who has a, a bit of a purple motif going on, um, and has a cybernetic, a big red cybernetic left eye. Yes, and a red uh, streak in his hair that in the shape of a lightning bolt. He's kind of like a reverse Harry Potter. Yes, which, which lets you know that he is uh, quite evil. So, but they're doing some tracking, um, and uh, they're, they're commenting about how they're you know they're going to get them this time, whatever. Um, they go back to Quentin and Ramirez. We see them fire a rock wrapped in vines across the chasm to tie itself perfectly around a, a tree limb uh, on the opposite side of the chasm, and they start sliding across. Uh, Quentin slides across using a boomerang. 
you yes, he, mm-hmm. he has a boomerang. It appeared in the opening credits, and it is so mm-hmm. cool. And it is appropriate for someone to have that as a weapon because it's a great weapon in every way. Yeah, that's and it's have cool. You ever played, have you ever played any Zelda game? Uh, no. You, have you have you not seen Mad Max with a little kid with a sharpened boomerang cutting people's hands off? <laughs> nope. Um. So yeah, so they get across uh, Clyde and, and McLeod. They go together, uh, and then Ramirez ties up the uh, Snarfo Tar Snarfo Plus Snarfo Tar, and uh, the Snarfo Tar is whining, and Ramirez is like. People love to do this back in the day. Shut the fuck up. Sure. And he sli- slides the Snarfatar across. And then the bad guys arrive. And they exchange a few quips with Ramirez before Ramirez jumps on the zip line. So here, I'm going to disagree with you slightly. Okay. Rewatching it earlier today, what struck me a lot is how thin the dialogue is. No one yeah. really, no, very little is said, really. Yes. Um, and rem- they kind of are like get him sort of that's about all they say and then Ramirez jumps on the zip line using his sword fair enough yes fair enough. And yeah he, and he's clearly sliding along this vine using the blade side of his sword and not the back of his sword well he's, yes that's how he's, powerful he is he's holding on to like the back side of the sword mm-hmm. the blade digging into the rope right just the fact that he was using the blade at all was just <laughs> goddamn ridiculous. Wait, Adam, did it take you right out of it? No, that that didn't take me out of it. Uh, there's plenty of stuff in here to take me out of it. Yeah, but, uh, we can talk about but that, that later. one. That one. Actually, no, that one did kind of take me out of it because I did take a few minutes to go like, what the fuck is he doing? Right. So. And we all know Ramirez for the movies, and we know that Ramirez would have just grabbed the end of the rope, cut it, and then swung across. Yeah. Like a badass. Um, and uh, I, one thing I will say, though, like pretty much everyone in this cartoon is competent, which I appreciate. So uh, the bad guys very quickly cut the rope, and Ramirez falls to his death in the water, assumedly. Well, they're, they're somewhat competent. There's... There's a fair amount of incompetence that pops up a little bit later on. Sure, yeah, but they're not like um, laughable yeah, they're, comic relief. Yeah, yeah, that's right. They're, and they're not just like watching, watching it all going on, and being like, "Oh, we don't know what to do." They do right. something at least here. Well, here. the child picks up the the freight end of the rope that's been cut and gives this look like she's shocked at the implications that this cut rope means that Ramirez has fallen into the river instead right. of being shocked by actually watching Ramirez fall into the river yeah. that she did yeah. like the, a few seconds the animation, The animation style for the kid, for Clyde, is... She does not look human. She does not look human at all. And she Her doesn't eye. look like... She doesn't look like she would fit in in this animation either, which is like the, the weirdest <laughs> thing. Her eyes are like double they're like the size of Quentin's head. They're like at least double every other feature of any other character. Yeah. They're enormous. She she just doesn't Yeah, she And and her neck is like as as thick as like a stick. It's in in like her features are like not yeah. quite human either. Like her face is like weirdly very round, whereas everybody else's faces tend to be actually 
like face. They look like actual faces, like they actually have some detail drawn to them. I feel it's very, like, very bizarre. Yeah, I feel like Ramirez and Quinton were designed by, you know, the people who are on the same team or on the same page or the same person, and then every other character was designed by like somebody they pulled off the street. Yeah, you know, like uh, draw us a um, a Sasquatch sitar, a tiny one. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's very bizarre. It's it's very odd. So, like all of her reactions to just about anything, I find strange. So, yeah. But um, we cut back. The baddies say, "Okay, we're gonna head downstream to," or they start heading downstream to catch up with Quentin and Clyde, even though they're just across the chasm a little bit, and these guys do have guns. Um, the Clyde and, and Quentin head down to try to find Ramirez and they're following after the body of Ramirez, but then turns out it's his cape. So they lose Ramirez. So they, they go start walking. Yeah. They start yeah, looking they, for him. They start looking for him. Um, the way you would look for a dog by loudly shouting Ramirez, Ramirez exactly. as they wander around the landscape. As they went around the landscape, and after it was already said that further uh, downstream, it would be easier to cross the river. So, dis- despite this, and despite the fact that there are baddies looking for them, and no- baddies that know where they are, they're screaming out trying to find Ramirez. Uh, Ramirez comes to on his own, perfectly fine. He then grabs a stick, sneaks up behind Quentin, chokes him out. Mm-hmm. They're all like, Ramirez, why are you doing this? And Ramirez is like, I don't know who you are. Um, and this is when we realize that he has amnesia. And Ramirez is just like, he just walks away and he's like, okay, I'm, I'm going to kill you another time, Quentin. And yeah. When we meet again, I will take your head. Uh, and he kind of, it's very interesting because Quentin insists like they know each other and he has all this knowledge. And Ramirez in his in, in his as an asthmatic, how do you describe them? What's the word? Um, amnesiac, amnesiac, uh, amnesiac state. He uh, he basically turns to Quentin and and says, "Look, uh, you know me, but I don't know you, and let's keep it that way. I demand to live in ignorance, mm-hmm. uh, and uh, I'm gonna rush off to do whatever it is um, the plot demands I do here." Yeah, and um, Quentin and Clyde let him go, and they decide to rather go back upstream to go see if they can find anything from where Ramirez fell in the water, see if they can go find the sword, basically, Mm because Ramirez didn't have his sword. Um, And we get, like, a quick scene of the bad guys seeing uh, uh, Ramirez walk off, and they decide to go chase after Ramirez. Um, Quentin jumps, they get back to the waterfall, Quentin jumps into the water, Fishes the sword out that had fallen into the silt of the, the river. And he totally looks like Aquaman here. Yeah, he really does. Because he's wearing all green, and he takes his shirt off, so he's just wearing green pants. He's got mm-hmm. red hair. Uh, eyebrows that arch in three different directions. Oh, yeah, his, his eyebrows are so archy. And uh, he's They're wearing... Like, his, his eyebrows uh, are like going to Riverdale High School. That's how archy they are. <laughs> The, wah, the new wah, gritty wah, reboot. Wah. One of his eyebrows okay. is dating Veronica, and one of his eyebrows is dating Betty. That's how RG is. I shouldn't be laughing at that. I'm just <laughs> encouraging you. 
right. So, and um, and he's also wearing uh, leg guards like everyone is on this show. Yes. Yeah, that, that that was such a weird thing. Everybody had like shin guards, and um, everybody also had a giant a giant gem on their either their belt or like on a medallion around their neck. Yes, and uh, the other thing that's a little weird is pretty much all the characters are dressed in a sort of pseudo medievally kind of kind of look and feel, uh, except for Quentin, who's wearing a trench coat and is like wearing much uh, seems like more contemporary and cool. Everybody else is like cloaks and leggings and uh, tunics and doublets, kind of kind of look and feel. Yeah, yeah. But specifically Shin Guards. Because I think there's another prophecy in this world. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) What's that? A a, a dark prophecy about the coming of Lake Day. (laughs) 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 And they all have to, like, pretend to bulk up. (laughs) They have to bulk their their legs up to... uh... I think it's because it's a French cartoon and the French were all like, well, what are kids like? Football. <laughs> no, 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 Benny. <laughs> oh, Jesus. It, it is not the football in America. It is le soccer. Le soccer. Um, yeah, they probably all have cleats. We just don't see it, you know? Yeah, well, because they're always walking flat-footed, so it's just like the, you don't actually see the, the bottoms it, of the shoes. So. Yeah. And there was that bit where uh, Quentin jumps up and uh, beheads that guy by... Uh, Using his forehead to well, to no, he he beheads the guy, and then Clyde just runs over and like headbutts it up. Yeah, yeah. And then everybody starts screaming goal, and then goal! Ramirez, like, Ramirez slides across the screen on his shins. Yeah, and the 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 quickening energy just uh, crackle crackles around them in the form of a goalpost. Exactly. That, yeah. <laughs> I do want to go back to the sword for just a minute because, uh, yeah, yeah. So Ramirez has turned violent and run away from them. And their idea to cure him is to give him a sword. I think it's more that Quentin, like, like your buddy gets knocked out. And the first thing you're going to be doing is like, Oh, I wonder, I wonder who's going to get his Ferrari. <laughs> that thing was okay. bitching, man. And so this just, is Quentin's way of uh, leaving yeah. the dead, basically. Yeah, <laughs> Quentin's like that sword was sweet, man. The way it struck me, it's like if Adam drank a bunch of tequila, ran into oh, the God. night, God. punched his way through a sliding glass door, <laughs> and then and then our course of action was to give him a sword. <laughs> yeah, again. I I never thought this story would come up on the podcasts of all the stories I was telling. I never God. thought it would happen to me. Um, Again. Well, it did happen to you. You were the one that did it. You were I the did. one that had to deal with the consequences of I that shit. I gave you a sword. Um, well, as with all the like cool swords in Highlander... Uh, it's a samurai. It's a it's a katana. Yeah, right? it's a katana. That was, yeah. that was the cool sword in in nineteen eighty five. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So yes, yes, I can see that Quentin wanted to get the sword as like a means to jog Ramirez's memory because there was so much history in that sword. It had passed through so many different hands, 
and Ramirez used that sword to train McLeod. McLeod then used the sword to fight on his own, and then Ramirez got it back and was like holding on to it for Quentin until Quentin was man enough to take it out of Ramirez's hand at the uh, Thanksgiving dinner table while he was trying to carve a turkey. <laughs> right. And he was like, you're too drunk, Ramirez. <laughs> Sit down. Ramirez is like, you finally did it. Now it's the Highlander. You think you can replace me? I'm Sean Connery, motherfucker. He's like that uncle. I'm the guy pretended to be Sean Connery, bitch. Yeah, MAGA. <laughs> anyway, um, Ramirez finds himself in a settlement or uh, yeah. in civilization of some kind. He just started walking in a random direction and came across a old ruined city. Yeah, and like a big one <laughs> with skyscrapers. Oh, yeah. Yep. And he, uh, there are a bunch of kids playing in the, like in the part of the city that he walks into, and they just sort of scatter when they see him. They run off. And there's, there's a shambling old man that then walks up to Ramirez. And Ramirez asks the old man, what happened here? And apropos of absolutely fucking nothing, the old man is like, it all started 700 years ago when the right. meteorites started heading towards Earth, and mankind and its hubris thought they could stop it with nuclear warheads. See, I didn't get any of that. It, that was not clear, but he did. Yeah, he, yeah. he is going to the 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 apocalypse. He, did, he does say 700 years ago. Like he sure, yeah. Goes back 700 years ago, and like as soon as I saw that, I was like, "This is like it's like somebody. It's like a tourist in Seattle coming up to me and being like." Hey, what's going on here? And me going, well, back in 1492, right. Columbus decided to sail west in order to find a passage east. Right. <laughs> yeah. Or I would be like, uh, well, first, all matter was condensed into a point smaller than an atom. And all energy was there, too. <laughs> and they're like, what's up? Let's get out of here. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So... It's, it's it's batshit crazy, but in this explanation at some point in time, the old man mentions Cortan, the big bad of the series, and Ramirez immediately goes, Cortan, mm-hmm. and has a flashback. And the flashback is of him and Cortan starting a fight on top of a volcano. Mm-hmm. The way you do. He's Vesuvius Yeah, they're vesuvius and Ramirez says to Cortan, Oh no, the gas. No, he says, look out, gas. Yeah. That's yeah, because, that's what it was. Sorry, yeah. Because sight is the sense that you use to detect gas. <laughs> it's, exactly. It's what, I, it's what I've been using. <laughs> he says, look out, gas. Cortan pays absolutely no attention and they continue their sword fight. Cortan's in... like though you smelt it, you dealt it. <laughs> <laughs> They, they continue to fight in this little gaseous uh, part of the volcano, and they like slowly pass out, almost in each other's arms as they're fighting. I I kept expecting the sparks from their sword clashes to actually ignite this gas. Sure, yeah, yeah. and like and send them flying away from each other or something. Right, because like, like, how does this resolve? Right, like yeah, exactly, exactly. One of them has to wake up eventually, and then he would just kill the other. Exactly. Or someone found them. This didn't have the good script writing as Heathcliff, where, you know, the the milk sitting out all day 
was they they said, "Oh, that must be sour." Right. These guys are like, "Oh no, clearly poisonous, toxic, explosive gas." Nah. No, but really, what it was is that the writers were like, "Okay, we we want to have Ramirez and Cortin. We want to show them fighting at some point in time to like establish a history between these characters." Right. How how do we stop them from fighting? Oh, let's use gas as a plot device. I think it was more like I more like some someone high up was like, it should be on a volcano, and they were all like, because uh, volcanoes okay. are cool. Yeah, yeah. And as they're passing out, they make a vow to return to this exact fight right. spot and continue spot their fight. <laughs> yes. Even though they're passing out on the spot. Yeah, they're not leaving the area. <laughs> to be honest, whenever I want a plot device to advance, I use gas. Also, mm-hmm. yeah, yeah, it's it's ridiculous. Whenever things get out of control at my house, I just go to the stove and I turn on <laughs> all of all of the gas. burners, but I don't let it ignite. I just right. let the gas escape into the house, and Whoa, then I just say, light. "Oh no, the gas!" <laughs> right. And then I tell everyone that this is that we will all return here in one year. Then you leave. <laughs> and then I walk out the door. Yeah. <laughs> go go have some mic time. Come back in an hour. Uh, so anyway, uh, after after Ramirez has this little uh, acid flashback to the volcano, he uh, decides to run off to grab a seven-year-old he- weapon stash that was buried underneath a tree that somehow made, managed to survive a meteorite. Nuclear hellfire, 700 years of drought and radiation, and mm-hmm. still be in the place that Ramirez thought it was supposed to be, based uh, off of no landmarkers. Not only that, but this but this box is in perfect condition. Yeah, perfect, clean, good. pristine. Yeah. Oh, yeah, the so, armor inside is still polished to a sheen. The armor yeah. inside is... It's very nice. Very nice. Like the uh, enamel armor uh, described in the Song of Ice and Fire, Game of Thrones. Sure. Not like in the movie or in the TV series, but what's described in the in the books. Because I'm that type of pedant. And this whole time, Clyde, uh, the dog man, and Quentin are following Ramirez and watching him. Yeah, they somehow manage to catch up with him here, and they see him. So Ramirez gets like this uh, shiny purple enameled armor. He pulls out a rapier from the stash as well and uh, plays with it and flexes it. And uh, uh, eventually Quentin and Clyde reveal themselves to try to explain the last 700 years to Ramirez to let him know what's going on. And he's hearing none of it. Instead, he's like, I'm going to go find Cortan and I'm going to go beat his ass. I got all my stuff. I'm ready to go. Quentin insists that Ramirez can't fight because of the oath and that he wouldn't be able to beat Cortan right now anyway because Cortan has surpassed him in power. This is, and and Ramirez is hearing none of it, he instead walks over, grabs one of the plucked chocobos that that Quentin was riding in on, and then all of the bad guys show up. Iraq and all of his hunters. Yeah, this was interesting because he says to Quentin, Ramirez says to Quentin, he says, uh, I'm taking one of your mounts. And he gets on it. And uh, at that point, Quentin just could have been like, yeah, that's yours, dude. Like, Yeah. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Yeah. It belongs but to you. When all, when all the bad guys showed up, 
they all park their ATVs, jump out of the cars, and Ramirez just basically walks right past them. Yeah, saying, he's so ballsy. If if Cortan wants me, I'll be waiting at the volcano. I'll be waiting on Vesuvius. He can find me there. I forget. And the they name don't try to fucking stop him. They don't. They don't try to stop him at all. It's no, like they're all, so shocked. They they should have just like fucking unloaded all of their ammunition into him and then drug his body back to Cortan and let Cortan just cut his head off at his leisure. Right. Like he had a he had a bipedal chicken and they have cars. Like yeah, multiple cars with multiple. They could have just run him over. And they have guns and he has a sword. Yeah, yeah, exactly, exactly. But, but you know, instead, they just let him walk off. And um, we cut to Araka reporting to Cortan at Cortan's fortress uh, that Ramirez is heading to the volcano for their duel. And at this point, I was like, they didn't even fucking get Quentin? He was right there. Why right. didn't they just go grab him and bring him to Cortan? Well, the camera mow him down. The camera panned off of him, so they didn't know he was there. <laughs> so they didn't see him. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I just don't know what Cortan pays these guys for. It's like, why, why the fuck do you even have soldiers at this point in time? So, meanwhile, Quentin and Clyde. Uh, oh, this is when they do the dream sequence. Yeah, this is when they have oh. a fucking acid trip of a dream. Yeah. Oh man, and. And it's very hard to tell who's dreaming, because we start off from the point of view of Ramirez. No, no, we start off with the point of view from Yeah, there's no, tra- there's no transition into this. It just yeah, Cortan, like, starts Cortan up in the middle of another scene. Is thinking about fighting Ramirez. He's talking to Araka and Malone. He mm-hmm. starts cackling, and that cackling actually turns into like this big like this big pan out from the fortress, and the fortress getting bigger, and then like Cuts to Ramirez walking towards the fortress, slashing down, down all the uh, yeah, slashing down all the ghosts of his friends. Yeah, all the good uh, guy immortals. This whole bit, this whole dream sequence, was by far the best animated portion of the show, yeah. but it wasn't that good, um, uh, and also kind of the most interesting part of the show, but is totally throwaway. There's no reason for it. It doesn't add anything to the plot. It doesn't reveal anything. It's it's filler, but weird filler because it's very. It takes a lot of effort. Yeah, yeah, and it, it turns out that this whole like acid trip is uh, a nightmare that Quentin is having while he's nodding off on his chocobo. Yeah, while they're while they're heading to Stonehenge. Well, he must have woke up because the Chocobo was uh, going over some rumble strips. Exactly. <laughs> so Quentin wakes up, and we find ourselves at, what is it, the the uh, something think, of the ancient, ancients? or I, th- I thought they called it, like, um, the Hill of the Oath Keepers or something yeah, like that. Yeah, or something Oath, like that. Oath it's Keepers Stonehenge. Hill, yeah. It's Stonehenge. Yeah, it's yeah. just Stonehenge. So, so they get to Stonehenge, and this apparently is where all the jetators, or however you pronounce that, uh, jetators. See, um, I didn't understand that term, and Clyde was like, "Do you think?" She the, says it. Yeah. Do you think the janitors will help us? <laughs> <laughs> and I was like, "All right, yeah." I mean, perfect. Yes, yes. I love it. <laughs> 
if this is a high school, high school musical, yeah, the janitor is cool, man. He'll help you out. I, I would, you know what? I'm now thinking we need to make a like sci-fi fantasy series where the heroes are the janitors, like sure. time janitors or something. Actually, I think that was the original plot for Ghostbusters, wasn't it? They were supposed to be like um, space janitors that fought uh, ghosts in space, and the producers of the seri- of the of the movie were like, "You got you got to bring it a little bit down. We're not yeah. going to pay for all that. You gotta you gotta make it a little more realistic." We get to Stonehenge. Quentin arrives at Stonehenge, and he wants to summon one of or all of the jetators to be able to talk to them and get advice. And he does this by stabbing his sword, uh, or I should say Ramirez's sword, into the stone altar and yells out, like just starts rattling off a bunch of Jetator's names. And eventually one of them, Yashoda, appears. And Yashoda basically says, I have nothing useful to tell you. Now go take care of this, you fucking self. This is just your memory. I can't give you any new information. I mean, he he is upfront about the fact that Ramirez will recover, uh, and so that's a load off Quentin's mind. But then he's <laughs> like, uh, "Well, they're going to fight," and then Choda's like, yeah, "Well, that's your problem." Yeah, if they're going to fight, you got to go protect uh, Ramirez because he's not going to win. Yeah, you figure this out. So we cut from this to the, like the final showdown scene, which is on the volcano. And the volcano is now an island in the middle of the water somewhere. Well, it may have or, always been. I, I'm pretty sure before it looked like it was on like a desert. They did like the flashback. It looked like they were actually fighting in a uh, more of a desert landscape. Possible. I, I didn't watch close enough to, to say yay or nay, but I'm going to yeah. say you're wrong. Okay. You should be ashamed. I am. I should have paid closer attention. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> you know, I've had to correct you several times, and I, I'm just going to let you know this is your first warning. This, this is this is the first of 536 warnings. <laughs> I'm going to give you <laughs> one yellow card, then one blue card, and that makes a green card. <laughs> so then you can get a purple card. Green and purple go really well together. Yeah, if you get five purple cards, well, then you could trade them in. For this stuffed monkey. Or one of those plastic crickets that you press the bottom of and it jumps. Nice, nice. I want one of those like little inverted rubber suction cup things that shoots right. up in the air when you set it. Uh, or a pair of Chinese finger handcuffs. Mm. I, I, can, I can detain my enemies using those. That's perfect. <laughs> yeah, if you have five of them. <laughs> Okay, so yeah, so it's the final showdown. Ramirez is there. Cortez shows up on a boat, jumps out. Ramirez and Cortez have like, they try to have like maybe one half assed quip line at each other, and then they start fighting. Yeah. And they're fighting, fighting, fighting. Quentin shows up in like a rowboat, basically. Jumps out, yes. runs up to him, and says, You guys need to stop fighting. Ramirez, you have to stop fighting. You know, you're not going to win. And Ramirez, so frustrated at the interruption in his sword fight, decides to turn on Quentin. He's going to kill Quentin. And yeah. then go on to kill Cortan. Uh, Cortan. But Cortan just puts his sword away and he's just like, yeah, now fight for me. Fight for my pleasure. And Ramirez is just like, yeah, yeah, I'll kill this red-haired trollop. 
Yes. Now, this is episode 37. And I should point out that at this point in time, um, Quinn McLeod has actually almost gotten all of his uh, Dragon Balls. He's like yeah, one he's, Dragon Ball away. He's collected all of the Infinity Gems. All but one of the Infinity Gems. All but one. So, he's already pretty powerful at this point in time. Oh, it you was, know what it is? It's Chaos Emeralds. Perfect, yes. Yes. He's got all but one of his Chaos Emeralds. Um, but in this would be the perfect opportunity for Cortan to use Ramirez's confusion and anger and actually fight with Ramirez to beat Quinta. Right, or just but, when he turns his back, cut his head off. Yeah, exactly. Because he Something knows like he that. can beat Quinta. Well, he's pretty sure he can beat. Well, he's pretty sure he can beat Ramirez, and he's pretty sure he can beat Quentin. But the question, Quentin is like more of the X factor than Ramirez is at this point in time. Oh, okay. So it stands to reason that like he would like push it at his advantage and fight Quentin instead of Ramirez, or instead of just having Ramirez work on his own, or like you said, cut off Ramirez's head. That would give him a little bit more of a power boost from the quickening from Ramirez, and then he can jump on Quentin. Well, you were saying, I mean, it makes sense now what you were saying. Yeah. Like, if someone's watching, then the, the quickening gets split. Yeah. So and, there's and no advantage. There's yeah. no advantage to team to ganging up on people. Yeah. But at any rate, it seems like a bit of an odd thing for uh, Cortan to step back. Also, Ramirez is fighting with, like, a, a his, the sword that he pulled down from his stash is actually, like, a rapier. You even see him at some point in time bending the sword to show that it's, like, very flexible. Mm-hmm. And, and he's actually exchanging blows with Cortan's sword, and Cortan's using like a great sword that looks like it would just cut that rapier in half or shatter the sword while he was yeah, fighting. Uh, well, they did this on Mythbusters. What's that? What happens is when you <laughs> bend the rapier past a certain point, it'll actually snap from yeah. from the bending process. Yes. You can't actually, but you can't actually cut a sword with another sword. You can't or you can? You cannot. You cannot. Okay. You cannot. So he, but me. he, yeah. but he would snap the sword, basically. Right. Yeah. So, that's that's actually just what I picture happening. But anyway, it's fine. Suspension of disbelief. Whatever. Oh, I thought um, it would take you right out of it. Um. No, I think at this point in time, I was only like half in anyway. So. Yeah. Sure. Um. The part that took me right out of it was the very ending. That's the part where I was like, "What? No fucking way!" But anyway. <laughs> The, the fight between Ramirez and Quentin goes to such that Quentin pulls off some sort of fancy move with a sword that we really don't even see what it is because it's he does really like bad a animation. Flip. Yeah. yeah. And Ramirez says, where did you learn that? There's, there's, only, and like, there's only one person that knows that move, and that's me. And Quentin's like, you taught it to me, dipshit. Uh, I think you're embellishing a little bit. He just says, I am. I where am. did you learn that? He is, he, he, yeah. He does said, where did you learn that? And Quinn said, you taught it to me. Who taught you how to do this stuff? You, all right? I learned it by watching you. I'm just going to go back to the lack of overall, like, dialogue. dialogue There's yeah. enough, but I get the feeling that they were saving Is money there? on the record. <laughs> I'm pretty sure they were saving money. I don't think there was enough. Because it's like, really, he goes to Stonehenge to talk to his Obi-Wan to get advice. And the Obi-Wan basically says... Oh, don't worry, Ramirez is going to get better. Yeah, but he's gone off to fight Cortan. Oh, then you have to go protect him. How? Yeah. Figure it out. Like, that that was literally the exchange between him and Yoshana. 
Yeah, it's just like it, it doesn't feel rich at all. It, it feels no. like the dialogue particularly is kind of chinzy. Yeah, it's like we're going to say the bare minimum of what we need to say to convey what's going on without giving like any real insight to like what the characters are thinking or feeling. Right. Or like really thinking again, because it seems like there's like no it's like A to F to K. And there's like no real reasoning behind some of the things they're doing. Like we we, we didn't even know he was going to Stonehenge before he showed up there. Yeah, but I didn't mind that. I mean, I, I, I what I did appreciate by from this, the, what was missing that I appreciated is the lack of an annoying comic relief character. I was very afraid that that fucking mm. dog, the dog boat thing, yeah, uh, the was snarf-a-tar. going to talk. The snarfatar was going to speak to us, and yeah. I was dreading it, and it never happened. Yeah, because you could totally see Clyde and the snarfatar in the background talking and exchanging like. Well, what happened to that guy? I mm-hmm. can't believe he ate that whole samurai sword. No, I don't know. We come back in. The volcano starts erupting. We see Clyde and the, the Snarfa P, the Snarfatar, um, on the robot rowboat, freaking out for a minute because there's like some karstic material being blown in the air off this volcano. We see several of the bad guy boats heading towards the island. Why they weren't there in the first place with Cortan, I don't know. But right, or just hi- hidden hidden around the island. Yeah. Right. And they start getting destroyed from all the the uh, karstic rock and, and lava that's shooting off the volcano. So they and, the rest of them turn back. The ones that didn't get destroyed turn back. Yeah, this is a weird scene where they showed like the threat of them all coming. And then mm. literally the next scene is a rock hits one of their windshields and they're like, all power a stern or something and they just turn around and it's all gone yep and uh the island starts to break apart and sink from this volcanic explosion and this is when um ramirez is like starting to realize that quentin might be his tutor or might be his uh pupil um well, after quentin, quentin has get her well he, this is after quentin has told him on multiple occasions that quentin is his pupil this right. is also after a couple of times where Cortan, talking to Ramirez, says that Quentin is his pupil. Um, mm-hmm. And it wasn't until he saw like that one move that only one person could have possibly taught Quentin, and that was Ramirez. Then Ramirez was like, oh, I guess that I am your, your uh, mentor. I'm your teacher, whatever. Mm-hmm. So, Young Padawan. So anyway, they all scamper. They all like get off of the uh, island. They all try to escape. Um, uh, you have uh, Quentin getting the boat with Clyde. They take off, and um, they're like, "Oh, but where's Ramirez?" Then like Ramirez suddenly shows up, jumps on the boat, and then, like acts like nothing happened. It's like his memories are back. Everything's fine. And he's just like, "Oh, hey guys, what's going on? Let's get out of here." There's a volcano yeah, yeah. blown up. There's no like deal. a we- there's a weird moment where Quentin seems to think he's left. Ramirez on the island, and then he just pops up on the boat. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Not, like, out of nowhere. And then uh, they escape, and then it cuts back to uh, Cortan, Cortan. Um, buried underneath uh, some uh, cooled lava. Yeah, on molten, the, molten lava. On the, one, on the one piece of the island that did not sink. And then, like, he breaks out of the rock just through brute strength. And then it cuts to credits. And that's 
when it took me out of it. <laughs> this fucking guy managed to get on the one piece of island that didn't sink, was buried in just a little bit of lava, just enough that he could break his way out of it. Bullshit. Well, remember how I said, like, as they get more quickening, immortals get poorly defined mystical powers? Yes. He he put all of his points into... Uh, Plot convenience? Yeah, into finding the <laughs> one rock that doesn't sink and having a nice little blanket of lava over me. He can't do anything else. No mind control. He doesn't have telekinesis. He doesn't have a mystical understanding or connection with the Earth or any of that shit. He put all of his points into... Volcanoes cannot. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> volcanoes can't take me down. <laughs> volcanoes can't kill me. Yeah, because he because he learned from that one guy that had a fight in Pompeii, yeah. on Vesuvius, and he was like, "No, I need to fight some motherfuckers in uh, holy ground, and I'm not going out like that." Yeah. So I'm, I'm putting all my points in Vesuvius avoidance. It's a baller move. Yeah. And who would have thought that it would have paid off? This this is like the guy <laughs> that plays D and D and plays like a water based character, like Ganazi, like a yeah, like a Ganazi, uh, and, they, and they never get into like any type of uh, uh, water adventures. They never go out sure. on a pirate ship. They don't never get involved in anything like that. Right. And then suddenly, at the very end of the campaign, the GM is like, okay. You'll be on a boat for this one, all right? It'll give you right. the chance to use your powers once, at least. It's like, yeah, it's like it's like the guy who used uh, Rift's source book under seas, and then the big boss is a kraken. Yeah, yeah. I like. See, I game. took your joke and I made it more <laughs> obscure. <laughs> you took my joke, made it more obscure, but more meaningful to us. Yeah, I made it. I made. I did it for you. Thanks, buddy. I, I learned it from watching you. <laughs> All right, guys. So, did you like the episode? Honestly, at first, I did not. Um, I didn't, because it felt like a quarter of an episode's writing stretched over ten episodes. <laughs> <laughs> uh, it's pretty sparse. Yeah. Um, but it, it's ki- it kind of grew on me a little bit after. <laughs> it's totally bizarre and weird and poorly written. Uh, but I sort of enjoyed it this the second and third time through. Yeah. What'd you think, David? I don't know. This isn't really what we do on the show, but uh... oh, we're not just... supposed to talk about what we what we thought about it. Yeah, you don't you don't want to hear our feelings, David. I, I don't want to think of my feelings. I'm not. <laughs> I <don't... laughs> well, I I gotta say, uh, it it never grew on me. Yeah, um, I, I I did watch it a few times, like several times, and like even had it as I was writing notes. I think I had to play twice in the background, so I was listening to it as I was writing on my notes for the for the episode. Um, but I th- this is like this is like Highlander to the quickening of the live action series Highlander. <laughs> So okay. It, okay, it seems like it seems like this is continuing on the okay. same vein as let me write that down. Than it is from Highlander itself. So, 
Um, it wasn't good in any sense of the world. Uh, no, word. Yeah. I just like started to enjoy the absurdity. Um, but I agree. I mean, first off, they they ruined immortals. Like, what? There doesn't need to be immortals in this show, right? Yeah, yeah. Like, yeah. there's it. They're not doing the game. They're not getting power through quickening. It. They could have easily. Just taking this plot and like, okay, yeah, you're gonna go uh, meet uh, 21 wizards. Yeah, yeah, exactly, yeah. exactly. But but I think that that's, that actually might be what. Essentially, that's kind of what they did. Is they basically took a like a common, easy sci-fi fantasy trope yeah. of uh, the hero's journey, specifically to gain power to be able to then change himself and evolve enough to, to be able to fight off against some big bad. So this essentially was like their pared down version of the hero's journey. And then they basically took the IP of Highlander and just cut off pieces of it to make it fit that mold. Yeah, I agree. But they could have kept it like, like mm -hmm. why would the game end in the post-apocalypse? Like the whole, yeah. that was kind of like, the point, like, I mean, in in the show, there were, or in the movie, there would be there would be group of immortals who like banded together. But like, part of the whole thing was that, like, being an immortal was incredibly lonely because they would constantly stab each other in the back. They all knew at some point it was going to come yeah. down to them. Yeah, and they they yeah, it was just a matter of okay, I can make friends with this guy, and then hopefully that guy will be killed by some other immortal, so I don't have to kill him later on. But when it comes right down to it, I'm going to have to kill him eventually. Right, and they they kind of play with that a lot more in the Highlander TV series than they did in um, the, movie the movie itself. Yeah, but um, I mean, you're absolutely right. They could have easily just been like, "Okay, this is the the game." And I totally failed to mention in the when I was giving the synopsis of of the Highlander storyline. There's also a group of mortals that are <laughs> aware of the immortals and keep track of the immortals and like create a history of them. And they're called the Watchers. And they could have very easily made this, like, they could have added, like, a group of Watchers that kept all the history of the Immortals that were also teaching Quentin. And it gave Quentin the knowledge that he needed to then go out in the world and then find other Immortals to then take their quickening, the good old-fashioned, the game way, to build <laughs> up enough power to eventually kill Cortan. But, I mean, it's just not that well-written, right? Like, no, no. it's been dramatically dumbed down to the point of being like on the level of he-man yeah, yeah with with well, with maybe slightly a little more um attention paid to the writing or or i mean being a decade later and being slightly more timely yeah yeah so mike would you let your kids watch this show um no because I would let them watch the real Highlander to show them how it's done. <laughs> it's quite violent for, for young children, Mike. And when you say the real Highlander, which one do you mean there, Mike? Uh, the he, means, he means the real Highlander, that I mean, animated show. The quickening. TM. Because there can be only one Highlander. So you, you, you would show her Highlander the quickening. The second movie in the series. Yeah, because that's the only one you talk about, so it's got to have you know you hold weight. <laughs> so, match point. Would you let? Um... I mean, no female characters at all, really. Yeah. Uh, Clyde. Clyde. 
mm, Clyde is not. Yeah, she doesn't. She she's a non-entity, right? Yeah, there's really no female characters in this. Yeah, like because Clyde wasn't even like I was waiting for there to be something like, oh, we're going to use Clyde to yeah. lure out Quentin. She's going to be like, she is the ward of uh, Quentin, whereas Quentin is a ward of Ramirez. So then, like Ramirez reluctantly had to protect Clyde as well because that's what Quentin was going to be doing, right? Or even just a scene where Quentin's like, "What are we going to do?" and Clive is like, "Well, we could go talk to the the Oath Keepers." Yeah, right? yeah. So she's just exactly. like she's in some way guiding the plot. Yeah, or offering some type of some type of uh, yeah. Um, but advice. But there's her. literally there's a scene in this where she's like, uh, "I let me come with you," and Quentin's like, "No." And if I don't come back, just push the right boat away. out to sea. <laughs> just, yeah. just push this boat out to sea and effectively die. No, yeah, because he says, just push just push the boat out to sea and the tide will take you back to land. And it's like, right. What? Eventually. <laughs> well, Mike, you do know that they made a, uh, a Highlander anime. Right? No. No, 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 no. No. There, there, could, be, there could be only one. Highlander. No, there could only be one thing that we talk about all the time, and it's the quickening. <laughs> Constantly, incessantly, never-endingly. Um, wasn't there a Highlander four? Yeah, there was. There was. So there was. There was Highlander, the original one from 1985. That oh yeah. Kurgan. There was Highlander two, which was the uh, worst sequel ever made. Uh, panned by critics everywhere from all time, where the high, where the immortals turned out to be aliens from the planet Zeist, um, and uh, Ramirez right. was brought You're back right, to Mike. life. You're right. There is only um, one. Uh, there was Highlander three, where um, there was one like like we were talking about with Mount Vesuvius. There was one immortal that was trapped underground in a cave somewhere that nobody knew about. And of course. even though Connor McLeod technically won the game, he didn't realize that he didn't win because there was one left that he had to go hunt down. And that Highlander actually had like magical powers from. He was a shapeshifter. He was a shapeshifter and he could like create multiples of himself. Shit, so I never saw one. this one. Um, I think you did. I think you probably watched it with us. This is I... like one of the movies we rented as kids. So I, I only remember four. No, I remember one and four. I only remember the one with Sean Connery. Seanimous Connerson. Highlander 3 was called The Final Dimension. Yes. I think it came out like 1991, 1992, something like that. Yeah, I remember the name of it. I don't remember it. Highlander 4 was when they bridged the movie and the TV series. And you had uh, Connor McLeod and Duncan McLeod fight the big bad together. This this felt like fan service. Yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. And and Connor McCloud does a fancy move with Duncan McCloud that forces Duncan McCloud to, to have to behead Connor McCloud. Right. It was the only way to stop that motion and movement. So um and then the fifth movie, The Source, was a made for sci fi uh movie. <gasps> in the in the far flung future where all humans became cannibals or some shit like that. And Duncan McLeod was trying to figure out the source of immortality mm. because even though there could be only one, the game keeps going and going and going and going. More immortals keep getting born and nobody knows why. 
So he goes to like Chernobyl or something like that to find the source of of immortality. It, it keeps going because they had to keep syndicating. <laughs> here's the here's the other thing about the Highlander is like the first movie was really good, yeah. but the idea doesn't really have legs, right? No, like no, the logical yeah. conclusion of that is like a post apocalyptic movie, which frankly is sort of cheesy. Or the way it was yeah. dealt with was usually cheesy. It was kind of cheesy, yeah. No, you're you're absolutely right. Like they, you, we had mentioned that the whole reason why Highlander did so well is because it was basically designed for fourteen year old boys. Yeah, that really wouldn't be the demographic they would be looking for. The thing that really made the movie catch on was that Sean Connery fucking bought into it, and Sean Connery, James Bond, was in the movie, so it made it mainstream enough that audience members would watch it from all over, basically. I mean, yeah, and that, and, I mean, don't es- underestimate how many people are really 14-year-old boys in no, yeah, on yeah. stilts. You know, like, that's most people. Honestly, <laughs> what I felt like as a 14-year-old boy was... That nubile? They, Did you feel nubile? Uh, yes. <laughs> the, 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 uh, the What's idea the was pitched. It's like, let's have... This Scottish, like, warrior. And then that's all the studio execs heard. And then from there, they're like, let's add immortals and swords and aliens. And it was all lost after the whole point of, like, let's have this one Scottish guy. (laughs) You think that they... Somebody went in to pitch a movie, and his whole pitch was, well, there's a Scottish guy. The whole pitch was basically Braveheart, (laughs) and then all the studio execs heard was, let's behead people Uh and Scottish guy. That's a good starting point. Let's let's go with Braveheart, except they have to kill each other. That was Braveheart. That was Braveheart. Braveheart (laughs) years before its time. Years before Braveheart. Well, here's the question. Would there have been a Braveheart if not for the Highlander? Yes. Did did, did the Highlander bring Scottish culture enough into the foreground of pop culture that it became (laughs) enough, it became mainstream enough for them to actually do an entire movie based off of Scottish history? Before 1984, people didn't know that Scotland existed. Exactly. They were unaware of that landmass. Uh, exactly. But at that point in time, they were just very, very advanced engineers that were good at teleporting people from one place to another. Until they found, until they about? discovered whiskey, and then they devolved. Yes, we all saw that Family Guy episode. You may be um, onto something because I didn't know what Wales was until I went there. <laughs> <laughs> Did you guys know that there's an Isle and, of and you and you were like Wales? Pinocchio? Pinocchio was stuck in this? Did you guys know that there's an Isle of Man? Yes. Mm-hmm. There's no women there. I know. There's only an Isle of Man. <laughs> Jesus Christ. Well, it used to be on old maps like before 1984, uh you'd have England like it would just say England and then up at the top kind of area, it would just say dirtier England. (laughs) Filthy England. Disgusting, gross England. Gung pit England. And um, I can't believe you had to ask me what I was talking about, Matt. 
who tra- Scotty Star Trek. That's what we know the Scotsman for. Oh, right. It's for Scotty. Also, Jesus. you call the you call the one Scotsman in Star Trek Scotty. Fucking racists. All right, so this is where we wrap it up, right? Uh, kind of, kind of. Um, did you guys know? <laughs> no, we have hours the Highlander, Highlander uh, franchise. Um, Ramirez is only Spanish. The second um, character that Sean Connery reprised his role for. He only came oh. back in Dead Sequels playing the same character for James Bond and Highlander. Wow. Hmm. That fool had, like, no fucking compass when it came to the movies that he chose to be Yeah, in. didn't he pass on, like, Lord of the Rings and the Marvel movies and, like... No, he, he passed on uh, The Matrix. Right. Because he thought it sounded a bit dodgy. And then he decided to do League of Extraordinary Gentlemen. Yeah. After the Matrix, yeah. Well, on paper, the Matrix, Le- yeah. on paper, League of Extraordinary Gentlemen would be awesome. Because the comics were great. But did you yeah. know about that yeah. one time a book fell on Sean Connery and he only had himself to blame? Don't. Don't make can, any noises. Can you put in the cricket sound effect here? I don't want to encourage him at all. This is called least reinforcing scenario <laughs> where you just ignore the behavior until it right. goes away. Be careful, yeah. Ryan. Some things in here don't react well to bulge. <laughs> all right, all right. Do time bandits this time. Do time bandits. No, no, no. We've got to wrap this up because the, the natives are restless. I see. Okay. Um, all right. So shall we... Are we keeping this on our, uh, on our list? Amazing... Terrible or amazingly terrible. Mike, go. Terribly amazing. <laughs> okay. All right. I say amazingly terrible. I also say amazingly terrible. Amazingly Does terrible, that, yes. Yeah. That means we keep it? That means we keep it. <laughs> yeah. <Okay. laughs> How could we not? Wow. We, we, is, we, did, we, but didn't we already record this? It's yeah, some, kind of. Yeah, it's something that, that we love desperately that someone else has ruined. We have to keep this. That's true. That's true. <laughs> we'll keep we it because we'll have to loop back at some point. Well, it, we have to see what type of flaming turd pile this actually turned out to be. So, I mean, this is the corpse of all of our childhood dogs. It really is. <laughs> how many how many dog corpses do you have? <laughs> well, I think just the just this is. show. Okay. Just making sure there's not, like, a pile of dogs buried in your backyard. I'm pretty sure this is the first time we had a unanimous decision on this. Because even Mike said Mm. terribly amazing. Yeah. Which would be the equivalent of amazingly terrible, so. And Mikey hates everything. (laughs) Mike hates everything, yeah. He likes it. (laughs) Follow your nose. All right. Um, All right. we We cut Dirty 30, so no Dirty 30. Um, yes, no. I don't know. I guess the only the only Dirty 30 that would be in here would be Malone, right? Post-Apocalypse Malone. Because he's obviously the Gimp for Oh, yeah, he's, Not he's the subtext. Dirty 30. You can't call that subtext. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he spends all his time crouching in leather pants. <laughs> With a dildo strapped to his face. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Okay. So, uh, Dave, you said one universe? 
One universe. So, so Clive is the name of, who is it, Charleston Heston's orangutan sidekick in those movies? <laughs> <laughs> this is tenuous, <laughs> even for us. Now, now, now since, since these are like plucked chocobos, do you think Clive is actually like a shaved ape? A, a shaved ape? Well, she and that's did why, have red hair, and that's, much like and that's why she looks so weird, and all of her proportions are off compared to the other characters. I maybe you're convincing me. And, and wasn't it with Clint Eastwood or something? Or oh, Clint Eastwood—that's who it is. I, th- I thought it was Clint Eastwood. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's Clint Eastwood. It is, okay, okay. All right. So, the old man in the city said that. Um, the great catastrophe is punishing mankind again and again. Mm-hmm. So I think that's proved that proves that this is counter Earth because it's being continuously destroyed. Okay, okay. I could, I could buy that. This, this is um, after the the calamity that Stampede threw at Earth, right? Um, and and that could be what they're referencing with the the meteorite and the well, it's on the meteor. Uh, yes, that that sounds like. Our mm-hmm. disaster of 1994. That sounds like Stampede, yeah. yeah. But but then we have um, uh, 2199 is when the chameleons also sent uh, radioactive bombs to Earth to make the entire Earth radioactive. What's the time scale to get to um, Thundar and the planet of the uh, and and the the, the, the uh, freaky apes time? That would be 2990. So, so it's we're like right, 200, 200 years after this. Like yeah, two, so we're right in the middle here. Yeah. Yeah. So, like, this is just the period before Thundar, really. Wait, hold on. I said to then because it's going to be 30. No, it's going to be. No, it's going to be another thousand years from here because it's actually 3,999 for right. Thundar and 3,974 for Apes. If the apes are becoming intelligent, that might explain Clyde. <laughs> Ooh, yeah. It exactly. does. It does. They were like children. Literally like children. So what I think is, I think that Clyde, at the end of the series, actually receives the quickening. Whoa. Oh, okay. So she becomes she, the one. She gets all quickenated. Yeah. She, yeah, she actually receives the ultimate quickening. Okay. As, as, do you guys ever think that the quickening sounds like something that happens when you're baking? No, I, th- I think uh, it's sure. It always makes me think of childbirth, but that's because of Futurama mm. and when Kip was pregnant. <laughs> oh right, yeah. Clyde was actually a shaved orangutan. <laughs> so, wow. Okay, we're so far off the rails. It was beautiful. We're, no, we're, Clyde we're not was even... actually Clyde from every which way but loose, is what you're saying. So, so when Clyde receives the quickening, she became Kygor, the god of the apes. Oh, Whoa. nice. And that's when she started the, the ape society. I'm nice. so disgusted. Okay. Beautiful. Okay, I like it. This is good. Everything is falling into place. No, it isn't. And 200 years before Planet of the Apes. 1,200 years before the Planet of the Apes. 200. Once. 1,200. It's 1,200. 
Because Planet of the Apes is 30, 3974. It's 39? Yeah, and Thundar is 3999 or 3994 or something like that. Because Thundar is 2,000 years. years no, it's 2,000 years in the future for Thundar. And Planet of the okay. Apes was like 30 years before Thundar happened. Okay. It's important we get this right, damn it. <laughs> Apparently. <laughs> and on that no. note, next up. Uh, what is our next episode, David? Ooh, All yeah. right. The most exciting so, bit of the series. <laughs> Talking about the next episode. So we, did TV. we decide I'm not allowed to roll for this? <laughs> I, I, I don't know what we decided, but you better quit rolling shows we've already seen. And quit rolling <laughs> shit, David. This is as bad as me playing RPGs. I'm just using the Wizards of the Coast die roller. Use D20. Well, that's the problem. You're using Wizards of the Coast. I command you to use a D100. Well. That's not going to be enough. Yeah. <laughs> he needs to use a D592. D- 276. Okay. 276. Do they make a D1000? We have 277. Mega Man. Yes! Ooh, nice. Never seen it. Mega, mega. Mega, mega. Live streamy playing video games. I mean, clearly he's tied in to Captain N. So it's episode 25. Jesus, always in the, like, end of the series with us. Bad day at Peril Park. Nice. Yeah, we always end up pretty high, pretty late in in the run or the first episode. Yeah. Either one of those two. <laughs> yeah, we all we always end up pretty high. You take that back. <laughs> I, I don't, but everyone else does. All right, so now we get to figure out who is going to be doing this episode. Who's going to summarize? Yep. Who is going to be our similarian? Dan. If it's Dan, I think it defaults to me. I think. Didn't we decide that at some point? No, we're going to hire an impersonator. Oh, that's right. That's right. I I re-roll it every time it comes up, Dan. Oh, okay, okay. Am I rolling this for who does it? Yes. Yeah. Yes. Do then it's it. me. Now switch it up. David. Roll, 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 David. For, who, roll for who yes. doesn't do it. Is David. David. The one. I like Mike's the idea. Only, <laughs> the original. <laughs> for the first time. For the last. Can't time. weasel out of it, buddy. It is the great David. Why does it always come up me? Uh, well, you don't want to do Mega Man? She like dice. you. <laughs> yeah. Or is it like, it seems like you're actually doing some of the more classic ones here. Mm-hmm. This is only the fourth time you've come up, buddy. That's true. That is true. Guess I'm on par with Mike, but it's, it should still be a lower percentage. <laughs> <laughs> I agree. I want some more All Mike right. episodes. So, coming up on an episode of Mega Man. I'm sorry. That's not right. <laughs> coming up on an episode of Amazingly Terrible is Mega Man. Uh, Bad Day at Peril Park. But next time on Amazingly Terrible, Where on Earth is Carmen San Diego? Episode to be determined, because we haven't decided that yet. No, we did. Being hosted by Derek. We just didn't write it down. 
Oh, that's even okay. worse. We're really bad oh, at this. <laughs> are we going to are we going to try to try are we going to try to do that three-parter or are we going to try to yeah. break it up? Oh so we're no, do we're doing a three-parter. All right. <laughs> An hour. Yeah. Right. What, what right. are we gonna? When are we gonna do another one of those live stream ones where we watch it at the same time and then it ends like half an hour later? That you was mean the, oh, yeah, the Lazy Man's podcast. The Lazy Man's podcast. That's probably gonna be our most popular one. I'm calling it. Right. We, so? we didn't. We didn't mention. We actually all watched this together. Yeah, that's, that's true. Right. That's right. And that's why. That's why our jokes were so dumb. <laughs> <laughs> that, that's why oh, of course Matt, that's exactly why it's, what, it's, it's, it's why it's why Mike wasn't reacting to anything yeah <laughs> well, Mike, I, did, Mike didn't watch this one because there were no women in it I, I only comment when it passes the Bechtel test <laughs> yeah, yeah you get mad <laughs> <laughs> screw Bechtel alright All right. well nice. For amazingly terrible, I continue to inhabit this meat shell. As Matt. And what's the? Okay, I was gonna say, what's the name of the meat shell? <laughs> Matt. Uh, for terribly amazing, I am Adam. For amazingly <laughs> terrible, I am Mike. One of God's own prototypes, a high-powered mutant of some kind, never even considered for mass production too weird to live and too rare to die jesus yep okay isn't it i mean it's kind of funny that that you always want to watch uh fear and loathing in las vegas whenever we hang out but we never do i think it's impressive that you remembered the whole line and i've pre-recorded my outro so <laughs> screw it oh, don't cop out on us like that Amazingly Terrible is produced by David Marks send your emails to monotonouslyterrific at amazinglyterrible.com music by Josh Woodward Kings, we're the princes of the universe. Here we belong, fighting to survive in a world with the darkest power. Hey. We're the princes of the universe Here we belong Fighting for survival We've come to be the rulers of you all I am immortal I have inside me blood of kings 
I have no rival, no man can be my equal. Take me to the future of you all. Born to be kings, princes of the universe, fighting and free. Got your world in my hand. I'm here for your love and I'll make my stand. We were born to be princes of the universe. No man can understand. My power is in my own hand. People talk about you. People say you have your day. I'm a man that will go far. Fly the moon and search for the stars. With my sword and my hand held high. Got to pass the test first time. I know that people talk about me. I hear it every day. But I prove them wrong because I'm right the first time. I'm getting all the votes wrong on this one. Yeah. Yeah. Like, I'm reading the lyrics. I'm still getting the words wrong. Oh, this is the big guitar solo. Oh. Yeah. Watch this man fly. Ooh. Bring on the girls. Come and walk mom. Here we are, born to be kings, we're the princes of the universe. Here we belong, born to be kings, princes of the universe, fighting and free. Got your world in my hand, I'm here for your love and I'll make my stand. We were born to be princes of the universe. I think every time I sing this, it gets worse. <laughs>